Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Michael Moorcroft. The world is full of unseen forces. Let me be your guide as we lift the veil and peer into the face of the unknown. This is the major as well. You'll want a one guide to all things witchcraft and spiritual. The jungle sun beat down as sweat trickled from Yawatl's hairline into his eyes. The drums pounded as he climbed the temple steps to the top of the pyramid, the crowd in the plaza chanting in unison. He saw the vivid canopy of the jungle, his heart beating so fast that he felt dizzy. Yawatl looked up to the golden god in the sky that rose each day as he stepped onto the terrace of the pyramid. The priests were waiting for him. They guided him over to the altar as they piled Kolpul onto the brazier, its misty smoke wafting upwards towards the heavens. He lay down, and a masked priest came into his view, with colourful plumage fanning from his face. The obsidian knife briefly glinted in the afternoon sun as it was raised into the sky. Suddenly, it plunged down in an arc as the crowd went wild. Warmness crept over his chest, his vision blurred, and darkness took him. Yawatl did this for his people. Hey Majors, welcome back to the show. If you haven't already guessed, this week's episode is on human sacrifice. So there is an obvious trigger warning here that I talk a lot about death. I talk a lot about child sacrifice. It's pretty gory. I do want to stress that I'm not glamorizing or romanticizing suicide. And I'm not looking into this to provide a how-to guide. Full disclosure, if you're here to learn how to sacrifice people, wrong show. And I don't know where to direct you, I'm afraid. We're going to be looking into the history and why ritually slaughtered bodies have been discovered in societies all over the globe. Human sacrifice is defined as the ritualized, religiously motivated killing of a human being. The word sacrifice comes from the Latin sacer, meaning sacred, and facho, meaning to make. Therefore, the act of sacrifice is to make something sacred. 
Sacrifice in the context of humans means the destruction of a person with the desire of the sacrificer to receive some sort of positive benefit or something negative to be removed or reverted. In order for this to happen, the victim is transported from the mundane physical world and into the realm of the supernatural as a gift. Sometimes the victims faced a lot of violence before or after death that's thought as a way of strengthening the potency of the sacrifice. This is especially thought to be the case if the petitions around the sacrifice related to matters of hunting or warfare. Today we view sacrifice and death as shocking and outrageous, but to the ancients, generally speaking, it was a religious transaction in that it was the process of making something sacred. Also, they were far more accustomed to death than we are today. Violence, conflict, wars, disease, illness, childbirth, the list is endless to how you could have died or witnessed death in ancient times. We're all no doubt familiar with the Aztecs and the Mayans who sacrificed people in a conveyor belt-like manner, or so we're led to believe. Tombs and burials within China, Egypt, and throughout Viking societies and countless other cultures contain the bodies of those who gave their life to serve in the afterlife. It's believed that all societies around the world practice sacrifice at one point. Oftentimes, people have willingly gone to the grave. But why? Why as a species were we so obsessed with sacrificing each other? Well, it's believed that sacrificing people acted as a way for the elites of that society to traumatise and to scare the lower classes into submission. Divinely approved, the ceremonial killing was a preservation of power, and it really solidified their status. In some societies, by choosing who lived and who died, it displayed godlike powers. This is called social control hypothesis, and it's got a lot of weight behind it. Over 400 societies spanning over 10,000 years have been documented and entered into a database with the aim of finding a clearer view as to why sacrifices happen. This database supports the idea of social control. It suggests that these sacrifices had a stabilizing effect on society. It legitimized class division and political authority. This was further validated by the fact that the people often sacrificed were of a political threat to those who sought to maintain power. However, this theory crumbles once the population reaches a certain threshold. Once a population reaches over 100,000, the sacrifice of humans becomes highly destabilizing in the context of social control. The injustice and the inequality is seen for what it is. A smaller scale population might be thrown into terror and fear, but a larger one takes on a life of its own. It pushes back and dictates a style of governance that doesn't terrorize the population. Monotheistic religion is thought to have played a huge role in denying sacrifice, though more data is needed to confirm this. But the idea of one god condemning the practice seemed to have worked. On a psychological level, these religions provided the social glue for society much more effectively than sacrifices did, and allowed societies to climb higher and develop as to how we see them today. But these studies are limited in that they may not be able to explain every culture's thirst for sacrifice. And I also think that this is a very Western-centric and also a capitalistic view of sacrifice. Also, it doesn't really explain child sacrifices. Are there any alternative reasons? Well, the Spanish in 1521, when invading Tenochtitlan, the Aztec capital, 
reported Aztec priests using obsidian blades to slice open a sacrificial victim's chest, take out the heart and offer it to their gods. The body would be flung down the temple steps and the head mounted on a special construction so that the skulls could be effectively displayed, flanked by two towers made of skulls. Widely thought to be fabricated to justify the sacking of the city and the death of thousands of people, recent archaeological evidence from Mexico City, ancient Tenochtitlan, confirms the Spanish account, or partly. Why did the Aztecs perform such elaborate rituals? The sacrifices often coincided with important dates within the Aztec calendar. It was thought that every 20 days, two to six victims were ritually killed. Each Aztec town or village, no matter the size, would get through about 40 to 120 sacrifices per year. Huitzilopochtli was their sun god, who was waging a constant war against the darkness. If this darkness won, the world would end. So to keep Huitzilopochtli fueled for his constant battle, they gave him a constant supply of hearts. And people went willingly. It was a great honour to give your heart to him, and it ensured a good afterlife. It was believed that the elites sometimes participated in cannibalism, looking at the markings on the bones of those sacrificed. And when I say cannibalism, this isn't like a huge feast. They most likely ate tiny slithers of human flesh, perhaps in an act of consuming that which was made divine and as a form of communion. In the early days of the Aztec Empire, it was custom for royal children to be sacrificed at their parents' request. This idea of foreigners being sacrificed is an inaccurate view. In 1454, the Aztec government banned the killing of captives from distant foreign lands at their temples. Cochiayetl, translating to Flowery Wars, were battles between allies and city-states where the aim was to capture warriors for sacrificial purposes. Killing warriors on the battlefield was seen as dishonourable, and very few actually died in Aztec wars this way. Death through sacrifice was seen as a glorious end. The victim was treated as a modern-day equivalent celebrity, and they were honorary guests at huge feasts and celebrations. Poems would be dedicated to them, and songs sung about their bravery. The ancient Aztecs appeared to hold different views to death. They were eager to go to their graves. Cortes described them as, quote, determined to perish. When Cortes and his men freed some people to be sacrificed, they rejected their freedom and demanded to be sacrificed. And when the Spanish told the Aztecs to renounce and kill their gods, the priests coolly responded, quote, Our gods are already dead. I can't imagine the Spanish Christians took that well. And this was also reflected in the iconography of their gods. They were often depicted as corpses in various stages of decay or with severed heads. Victims would often represent the god they were dying for through dressing like them and displaying their traits. In sacrificing themselves, it looks like they believed it would purify them in a way that no other method could achieve. It opened a split between the worlds, looking at the codices, the Aztec books. The heavens were shown as bricked up, with occasionally a crack where deities would pass through. You may have seen my video on Instagram where I talk about blood offerings and the Mayans. It was a similar idea with this. Wound the body to draw blood to attract the gaze of their otherwise silent gods. The idea of cutting open the chest was the ultimate expression of creating this split between the Aztec world and the heavens. By extracting the heart, it became reunited with the sun, which is where it descended from. And the sun was also seen as a giant heart. 
Now after the chest was cut open and the heart shown to the sun, it was often burnt, and this aided its journey back to the sun. A sacrificial hymn sung by victim goes, quote, In a coffer of jade, the eagle vessel that held human hearts, I burn myself up. There are Aztec reports of those who faltered on their way to death. They cried or lost control of their bowels, but this was so rare that it was a very bad omen and an insult to the gods. Victims were expected to bless children, listen to people's petitions to the gods, lead songs and sacred dances, and the list goes on. Decapitation was another form of sacrifice, and this was thought to release the tonali, or soul, which was depicted as a seven-headed snake. The act of sacrifice for the Aztecs was a form of repaying the debt they owed to the gods, who sustained them. There was a strong sense of indebtedness from the Aztecs, and sacrifice was an obligation to pay for what they had, else imbalance and disaster would strike. It's quite common for people to call the Aztecs and the Mayans who commonly get grouped with them barbaric, with their thirst for sacrifice, and this makes me really uncomfortable. These were highly advanced societies, very organised, very spiritual, and also very hygienic. Reports indicate that the Aztecs thought very low of the Spanish and their odour. They fumigated the Spanish as they approached the city, which the Spanish, funnily enough, misunderstood as an honour. Back to sacrifice, the act of sacrificing was a highly sacred and important affair. These societies are often compared to ancient Rome, yet when we look at Rome and how they kill people for entertainment in the Colosseum, barbarian isn't a word that I've ever heard used to describe them. They are arguably the apex of the classical world, yet it's very clear to me who is and who isn't a barbarian in this scenario. Also, modern day society, we hide behind the idea of war as an excuse for killing people. How is this any better? In ancient Europe, the mysterious druids supposedly conducted sacrifices. Now this was largely dismissed by historians. Everything we know about the druids is from other people, and a lot of the info comes from Julius Caesar, who conquered them. So, there's obvious problems there. In one of Julius Caesar's accounts, in one of Julius's accounts, he said the main method employed by the druids is building a giant wicker man. Quote, they fill it with living men. This would then be set alight. Again, we don't know if this is true. This is a highly impractical method of killing, and it was thought to appease the gods. Innocent people were used, but it was preferably criminals. Now, the killing of criminals is symbolic of a society killing their enemies or destroying the undesirable elements of their own community which threatened the survival of the group. But bodies found perfectly preserved in peat bogs throughout Europe are beginning to confirm that Celtic and Druidic peoples were committing sacrifices in other ways. Evidence suggests these sacrifices may have happened to ward off plagues and famine, act as a payment to ensure good harvest, or even halt the Roman advance into Western Europe. Often the victims were placed in water after they were killed, perhaps due to the belief that water acted as a portal to the supernatural, and therefore the offering would be transported to them easier. Also, there's an element of cleansing or purifying the victim in the waters for the divine. Sometimes these sacrificial victims have been found on the buildings and structures that were placed there before construction began. The ground was seen as unconsecrated unless a sacrifice was given to the land, else it would be offensive to the local spirits and gods. Around Europe, wealthy elites were sacrificed as well. The Cloney Caven Man was found in Ireland and was killed around 392 BCE to 
201 BCE. We know his status was considerable given the way he styled his hair. He is the first known user of hair gel, and it was made from vegetable oil and pine resin from France. Now this wouldn't have been available to everyone, and it shows considerable wealth. The location of his body is also interesting. He was found on the boundary or outskirts of a nearby settlement. It was a belief at the time to leave offerings outside the community for the territorial gods to keep them safe, and the gods appreciated human sacrifice. Julius wrote that the Celts believed, quote, Unless the life of a man be offered, the mind of the immortal gods will not favour them. There's also a suggestion from another bog body found in Ireland that the Celts sacrificed their kings, especially if their reign wasn't going well. By ritually killing the king, he was effectively being decommissioned. Or in other circumstances, it was people of noble birth who posed a threat to the new king and his regime. Could the Cloney Caven man have been such a nobleman, or even a king, who had an unlucky reign? Another interesting detail, but with a lot of these bog bodies, Hazel Tree features in the act in some way, whether it be an item fashioned out of the wood, is thrown into the bog with the victim's body, or the victim ate hazelnuts, the tree played a role in the ritual, suggesting of its spiritual importance. There's widespread reports of the Vikings sacrificing people, but again, we're not too sure if this is legit or propaganda, this time from the Christians. A sacrificial site was found in Denmark at Trelleborg. Five three-meter-deep wells were found to contain human skeletons. There were five people sacrificed in total, four of which were children. The detail of the well is significant. Wells were symbolic to the Vikings. Odin gained his wisdom from a magical well called Mimir, in exchange for one of his eyes. The killing of these children suggests that something went seriously wrong and that they wanted to re-establish a connection to Odin. In Greek mythology, King Agamemnon sacrificed his daughter for favourable winds on the warpath to Troy. There's other stories within Greek myths referencing sacrifice. But talking about sacrifice in the context of ancient Greece gets scholars a bit hot and bothered. They often completely deny the idea of it, and say that the Greeks were too civilised to do so, and the Greeks actively condemned it themselves. However, there are suggestions that it did actually occur. Maria Andrea Daki Vlazaki believed a case took place on the island of Crete, in the palace, of all places, of Kaidonia, in response to an earthquake that was thought to be 6.5 to 7.5 on the Richter scale, which then triggered a massive fire. To appease the gods, 43 sheep and goats, 4 pigs and 1 ox were sacrificed. This was discovered in a pit by modern day archaeologists, but nestled amongst the animal bones were the remains of a human skull. This skull was cut up like the other animals in the pit. Now, the human skull has seams where the bones connect. Someone had used a sword to pry open these seams of the woman's skull. Mount Lycaon in Arcadia, Greece, has been found to have evidence of human sacrifice. In regards to the mountain, it looks like it held a cult around the worship of Zeus, and it's the earliest known site of his worship, and it's also his mythological birthplace. The use of the site may even predate Zeus to a more primal Chthonic god. Ancient sources make reference to rumours around the mountain and human sacrifice. One of these main rumours being of Lycaon, the first king of Arcadia. Now, according to the myths, the king sacrificed one of his sons and fed him to Zeus at a dinner party. Zeus was outraged and turned the king and his remaining sons into wolves. 
Now this supposedly led to an annual tradition where a boy was sacrificed at the altar of Lycaon, along with other animals. Now all these meats would be cooked together, and whoever had the human flesh would be turned into a wolf for nine years. If they didn't eat human flesh again within that time frame, they would return to their original form. If not, they would remain a wolf forever. Now, the Greeks when choosing animals to sacrifice for the gods, the young, healthy, and beautiful were chosen, as to provide anything other than these things may insult the gods and incur their wrath. Generally speaking, goddesses preferred female animals, and gods male animals. Was this the same rationale used when choosing human victims? The ancient kingdom of Silla in South Korea has also seen many sacrifices particularly males being killed to accompany noble women in order to protect and guard them in death. The Egyptian king of Semeket had 136 subsidiary tombs around his, suggesting that when he went to his grave, up to 136 of his officials went with him to serve in the afterlife. If this is the case, it's the earliest known case of retainer sacrifice. Over in China, this practice happened on and off till the 17th century, and it's a similar story in Mesopotamia, court attendants would follow their rulers to the grave. But why become a court attendant if this was to be your fate? Well, they got to live in the palace and have a really good lifestyle. And also, perhaps death wasn't something that they feared. Just outside the capital, Chan Chan, in the Chimu Empire, located in modern-day Peru, just outside the ancient capital of Chan Chan, the biggest sacrifice in the Americas and likely the world took place with 269 children being offered in response to heavy rainfall and flooding, and this took place in the 15th century. The victims were smeared with red cinnabar pigment and had their chests cut open, likely to remove their hearts, and according to Spanish accounts, this isn't out of character. The Chimu sacrificed children during lunar eclipses and offered their hearts to sacred places. The number of children shows how desperate the people of Chimu had become. It suggests that adults weren't enough, also, children represent the liminal in that they aren't adults, and therefore could have been seen to communicate with the spirit world more clearly. And I'm also wondering if that's the same attitude towards virgins in mythology. A lot of mythological tales, particularly in the classical world, call for virgins to be sacrificed. Back to Chimu though, a thick layer of mud around the site suggests a catastrophic flood that would have disturbed not only the agricultural canals, but the fisheries on the coast as well. And this could have been going on for some time, caused by the weather phenomenon El Nino, possibly causing starvation. It may have politically destabilised the empire, as well as the economy. This combined with Incan forces moving northward to the capital, put the people of Chamu in dire straits. To kill that many children would have been a huge investment, bearing in mind that to reach past five years of age would have been an achievement, and would have been seen as the most precious offerings to the angry weather gods. A child is the future of that community. To sacrifice it is to sacrifice the future of that community, and suggest that the Chimu didn't see a future for themselves. It was a critical time that required drastic action. Did it bring relief to the dying empire? We may never know. But it seems ten years later, the empire fell to the Incans. The Romans also reported that the Carthaginians sacrificed their children. It was thought that they not only sacrificed the children to petition the gods, but also as a way to say thank you for fulfilling previous requests. Again dismissed as propaganda, but recent archaeological findings are causing scholars to rethink the matter. 
Josephine Quinn, a lecturer in ancient history at Oxford, who has been studying their society, thinks that the sacrifices, quote, may have even been seen as a philanthropic act for the good of the whole community. Roman accounts go into detail about the rituals, quote, There was in their city a bronze image of Cronus, extending its hands, palms up, and sloping towards the ground, so that each of the children when placed thereon rolled down and fell into a sort of gaping pit filled with fire. Josephine's study is controversial. There are many who simply refuse to believe that the ancients of the classical world didn't partake in human sacrifice. But there are so many myths that contain human sacrifice, they must be based on something. And the Roman Senate bans human sacrifice in 97 BCE. You don't need to ban something if it isn't prevalent. Kali is the Hindu goddess of death and time, and is the patron goddess of Calcutta the name of which derives from Kali Kata, meaning city of Kali. Throughout history, she's claimed sacrificial victims during the nights of a new moon, particularly in the Bengal jungle. Typically, her victims would be killed by strangulation, so as a drop of blood wouldn't be spilt and therefore wasted. All the victims' blood would go to her. It's thought this blood would fuel Kali so she could fight and slay demons. Kalika Purana, a tantric text written in the 12th century, states the sacrifice of one man will keep Kali satisfied for 1,000 years. Over in Turkey, in Gobeki Tepe, the world's oldest temple at over 12,000 years old, it was built by hunter-gatherers and is beginning to show signs that it was used for human sacrificial offerings. Today, sacrifices still happen. In Uganda, as recently as 2016, six children were killed in the run-up to the election of President Yoweri Museveni's fifth term. It's thought that as children are more pure than adults, it would bring the country good luck. In southern Africa, muti killings take place, where victims are ritually murdered and their body parts are used for medicine. The killings can be used to appease and manipulate spirits and for people to have control over them. A Liberian general recently admitted that he used to take part in child sacrifices. A Liberian general recently admitted that he used to take part in child sacrifices and eat pieces of the victim's heart in what was thought to protect him from enemy bullets. This idea of human sacrifice to maintain social hierarchies, it certainly drew comparisons and parallels to the modern day for me. If you ask social media users, have you seen someone being killed? I'm willing to say they'll say yes. The death of George Floyd went viral last summer. I'm wondering if people watching this were undergoing a similar psychological process as those witnessing a sacrifice in history had undergone. If that some form of social control was playing out via our smartphone screens, regardless if that was the intention or not. On a pragmatic level, ritualistic killings help society transform from smaller communities into the stratified countries that we live in and recognise today. It created complex class divisions, which created different labour pools and allowed the construction of society. We wouldn't have the intricate societies that we have today without our ancestors performing the spectacle of human sacrifice. But we can't just dismiss the spiritual aspect either. The Aztecs believed they were doing a service and paying back the debt. This indebtedness is a trait our arrogant society has long ignored, despite tottering on the edge of climatic disaster, much like the Chamu. It raises the question, what lengths will we go to ensure our survival? To wind the show down, I thought I would share a quote from the Aztec priesthood when the Spanish confronted their practices. They said, quote, Life is because of the gods. With their sacrifice they gave us life. They produce our sustenance, and all which nourishes life. And majors, that's it. That's a wrap for today's show. 
Thank you so much for listening. My intent with this podcast is to provide guidance and inspiration for those on their spiritual path and to talk about interesting parts of history relating to spirituality. I also want to connect you with information that is both useful and reliable. Would you like to support me and encourage me in creating more episodes? With your support, I can give the podcast more time and create more quality content. You can support me through Patreon and gain access to exclusive content and be part of the Majors Well community, as well as being in the communal sugar pot spell. The link is in the episode description. You could also support me by following my Instagram at the Majors Well, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and telling your friends about the show. Please get in touch with anything you wish to share at themajorswell at gmail.com and you may just get featured. A big thank you to Coral St. Clair for the podcast artwork. The poem this week is called I Sing of an Old Land by Hajin. I sing of an old land where the gods have taken shelter underground, where the human idols eat human sacrifice, where hatred runs the business of philanthropy, where blazing dragons eclipse the wrong ghosts, where silence and smiles are the trace of wisdom, where words imitate spears and swords, where truth is always a bloody legend. I speak of the old land, not out of love or wonderment, like my ancestors who were scattered into the smoky winds, who scrambled to leave home or rushed towards the approaching enemies. I joined those who fled and returned, who disappeared in other lands, bearing no hope but persistence, no honour but the story. No fortune but parents and children, singing a timeless curse, a curse that has bonded us together and rooted us deep in the wreck of our homeland. I touch the land at night, my hands trace the map on the wall, from the mountains to the villages and to the rivers, from plains to cities and to seashores. I see the green fields of the south, the dark soil and birch woods of the north, and snow swirling in summer. I dream of myself in that land, not for happiness or harvest. I dream of suffering together with my people, of being understood and useful, of being left alone and able to sleep, of my children refusing my land so that they will not repeat my life, of talking and walking with friends, of completing the work and dying with ease. I weep for that old land, for its narrowness, for its profound stupidity for its chaos and tenacity, for its power to possess those of my kind, to devour us, to nourish itself, to seize our hearts and throats and mix our moans with songs, songs of monstrous grandeur and merciless devotion, songs created by the cycle of that land. Peace out, witches. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.